This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, Britain has a new Prime Minister. His name is Rishi Sunak. He is 42 years of age. He's a British Asian, a Hindu, and the youngest Prime Minister Britain has had. It came quicker than might have been imagined. There were three people contending, Boris Johnson, Penny Mordaunt, and Rishi Sunak. Sunak was believed to have stabbed Boris in the back. Therefore, when he ran against Liz Truss, the members of the Tory party voted against him and in favour of Liz Truss, which proved to be a shocking mistake. On this occasion, there was no need to go to the membership because Sunak was the guy who got the votes from his parliamentary colleagues. And we're joined now from London by Chris Johns. Chris, former chief economist of the Bank of Ireland, and now a highly respected commentator who has got most of this right in our conversations. Chris, you pointed out to me before we came on air, it could be a bit of history if Rishi Sunak survives until mid-December. He and Leo Varadkar will have something in common, an Indian background. That's absolutely right. Yes, so it, it, it's it, it's a good thing, isn't it, Eamon? Yes, but, absolutely. Um, Britain has a uh, non-white prime minister, its first, um, which, you know, it's ironic that it's the Tory party. Uh, Labour Party has long prided itself on its egalitarian equality thing. And yet um, here we have this, this strange conservative party giving us female prime ministers and now uh, somebody from, of Indian um, Indian heritage. And indeed, of course, Leo Varadkar also has some Indian heritage as well. Uh, so I, I I applaud that. I think yes, that that, that's un, unambiguously a, a good thing. I don't think he's the young. I don't want to correct Jamie. He's not the youngest prime minister ever. for two hundred years. Yeah. I think is that yeah. right? Uh, I think <laughs> William William Pitt the younger was called the younger for a reason. Right, but he certainly is in terms of high office. Although he was Chancellor of the Exchequer, he's not in politics. He's not a lifer. And before he went into politics. He was a hedge fund manager, which is very interesting in itself because, well, hedge funds have been shorting the pound sterling. But I suppose they, I'm sure you'll educate me and some of our audience who wouldn't know what the hedge fund managers do. Hedge funds are the modern incarnation of people that are supposed to manage our savings in a decent, reasonable way. Some do that, some don't. Some are the speculative um, people who 
famous from the movies would stand in, in the old days would stand around on trading floors and um, buying and selling things at the drop of a hat and also doing it in very short uh, time frames. And um, they have been blamed over the years for many different things. The most famous hedge fund manager in British history is a chap called George Soros. Yes. Who famously made a billion pounds on in one day or less than a day, actually, back in all the way back in 1992. The last time the Tories lost their reputation for economic management, when the pound sterling was attacked, it was a member of the forerunner of the euro, something called the exchange rate mechanism. And uh, although the Tories remained in power for a while after that debacle, when George Soros, hedge fund manager extraordinaire, made his billion, and a lot of other hedge fund managers made money shorting the pound, um, the Tories, of course, then lost their reputation for competence and paved the way for Tony Blair to win three general elections. Lots of speculation that something similar is going to happen now, but it can only be that because, um, yes, the Tories have lost their reputation for economic management and the key task facing Sunak. It's not the only task he faces, but the key task is now trying to rebuild that reputation. And as somebody that is financially literate, unlike many a previous Chancellor of the Exchequer, particularly the more recent ones, um, the markets at least today, and it's very short term, probably wrong to read too much into it, the, the markets have given a quiet welcome to Mr. Sunak and the all-important bond markets, much more important than the foreign exchanges, um, have uh, behaved well today. Uh, borrowing costs for the British government have fallen which a lot of people around the place, not least mortgage holders, uh, will welcome. Now, Chris, Rishi Sunak got to the last two in the contest that preceded this one against Liz Truss. He did very badly against Truss for two reasons, in my view. One, of course, was that the members of the Tory party believed that he had been the one who'd wielded the knife to get rid of Boris Johnson when he resigned, as he did resign, the other reason, I, I think, was he, he didn't paint a rosy picture of the British economy. And she laid out a plan in their debate, their head-to-head debates on television. And when she'd finished laying out her plan, Rishi Sunak went to the microphone and he said, if she were to carry out a plan such as the one she's just outlined, the pound will be attacked, the economy will be wrecked, there will be enormous damage. He got great credit for foresight when she did execute her plan, and that's precisely what happened. That was a key moment, wasn't it? And a terrible mistake made by Truss and her Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng. That is to his enormous credit in the contest we've just seen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as well as being... Uh the youngest for 200 years and uh, all of those other things. And so glad he's the first uh, prime minister with an MBA. Uh, he's got a past life at the investment bank, Goldman Sachs. So as I say, he's financially literate. And so he, he made those forecasts. He, he said that Liz Truss's policies would crash the British economy. And he's been proven right. I suspect he was proven right much more quickly than he thought. Um, but maybe he didn't realize just the extent to which they would go for the unfunded yes. tax cut thing and just how fragile a state the British and indeed other financial markets are currently in. 
So, so yes, he, um, he, he's given some hope to those of us that are looking for financial literacy. And I would expect um, he to, uh, I would think that he's going to keep Jeremy Hunt in place and more or less allow Hunt to run with his budget that's due um, in a week's time. And that will be austerity mark two um, in all but name. And uh, it, it, as, as I think he himself has hinted at, it's going to be a very tough couple of years, economically speaking. Um, but there's no running away from that. If he runs away from that, uh, if, if he in any way, shape or form uh, says that he has to dilute what Hunt is trying to do, which is, which is restore financial stability, that the markets are going to come at him again, and he knows this. So I would be astonished if he doesn't do something like the plans, Hunt's plans that have been very well trailed. Yes, now for the British public, austerity mark one was executed by George Osborne, David Cameron's government, which came into power after Blair was carted away. And it proved very, very painful for the British people. They then had COVID and, of course, the war in Ukraine, Putin's war, really has only made that pain more severe. The other thing that seems to me to be relevant, highly relevant, he was a Brexiteer, Chris. He does come across as an intelligent and economically literate person, but he was a Brexiteer. That's a surprise to me. Yes, and it's, as you can probably imagine, a big surprise and disappointment to me because Brexit is economically illiterate. Yes, and my hope is that he was being politically opportunist and uh, uh, understood that the way the wind was blowing, the way he would advance his own political career was by being something of a Brexiteer. He did back Theresa May's deal when she was prime minister. Right, she did, did the deal for the soft Brexit, the original one that was then kicked out, and she was kicked out, and then Johnson did his hard Brexit deal. He was a supporter of Theresa May. So I have a glimmer of hope, and but it is only that that he could be pragmatic about this, because if he remains a, if he stays as a hard Brexiteer, then his hope of restoring some kind of health to the British economy will prove to be a very, very forlorn one. If he is the pragmatist that many people are today saying that he is, he will make all sorts of Brexity noises. Yes, but we need to watch what he does rather than what he says. And the it'll take a long time, but the relationship with Europe has to be reset now for both economic and political reasons. Um, and one of those political reasons, of course, is the Northern Ireland Protocol. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection... Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, Chris, the... Northern Ireland Protocol Bill that's making its way through Parliament was actually drafted by Liz Truss when she was Foreign Secretary and the European group, the European Research Group that have given Rishi Sunak their backing. They're a hard-right group. They are Brexiteers primarily. But if he were to do what Liz Truss assured this group that she would do, in other words, she would stick to the letter of that bill that's going through Parliament, it does threaten the peace on this island. It's hardline stuff and it's based on hard Brexit ideas. That's going to be a test for Rishi Sunak, is it not? And a test that is serious in that there's 128 of those hardline Brexiteers. They vote as a group, they think as a group, and they can hurt a prime minister very badly. This is one of the very big tests that he faces, absolutely. And it's going to be really interesting to see how he handles this. Interestingly, the ERG couldn't uh, arrive at a group determination about who to support. And they issued a statement this morning saying just that, that, that whereas some of their members were supporting Sunak, they couldn't uh, establish a group recommendation. So they left it to the individual members like Suella Braverman to support Sunak or whoever they so chose. And Suella so, Braverman did, and indeed Kemi Badenoch. They were two of the more extreme members of that group. Suella Braverman, of course, was the Home Secretary after Priti Patel for the brief period Liz Truss was in office. And she said in the House of Commons when she was talking about her view on immigration, and I quote, it would be a very happy day for me when I see a headline in the Daily Telegraph with a photograph of a plane taking off full of migrants heading for Rwanda. That's what we're dealing with here, isn't it? I mean, Certainly, it, it, on, on that the right ugly, the ugly image like that, yes, which it, is it, disgusting. And ugly is the word for it. Yes. it, it it's it, saying that you dream of aeroplanes taking off. It does run into the very practical consideration that they're really struggling to find an airline that will do this for them at the moment. Yeah. And whether or not it's legal is one thing, but uh, uh, because there are legal processes underway. Um, so I, I, it's how he sees off his, his right, this ultra-right wing and how he therefore protects his flank yes. from the right wing of the party. Because it's not just the ERG he, he has to worry about. 
it's others like the Faragists, of Nigel Farages of this yeah. world. Um, because that, one of the reasons why Cameron got himself into trouble was that he called the referendum originally to try and protect his right flank because he's, they were worried that yes. they would lose too many votes, too many MPs to this, to this right wing. And it's how he handles that because it's going to be tricky. He could pick an enormous row with them. Um, I suspect, at least I hope, that he, that's not the way he does it. If I was him, and God knows I'm not, but uh, well, the way I would handle it would be to sound as Brexity as I possibly could and then quietly get on with the job of um, attenuating some of the worst aspects of this, um, passing bills like the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, but not actually implementing its worst clauses such that they don't pick the trade war with the EU. Um, how he handles the, the boats coming across the Atlantic is going to be very, uh, the, the, the channel is going to be very, very tricky indeed because it is such a hot button issue for the Conservatives. But I, I suspect he's going to try and sound tough on these issues and quietly do very little about it. Unfortunately, the Northern Ireland Protocol isn't amenable to a fudge, but we'll probably have opportunities to talk about that because, as you say, he can't ignore it and he has to address it for their relationship with Ireland, but in their eyes, probably more importantly, their relationship with the European Union. Let me ask you, wearing your economist's hat, Chris, about the tasks he has to complete economically. It is estimated now, according to Ed Conway, who is Sky's very, very good economics correspondent, Britain is probably in recession right now. And the moves, the damage done by Liz Truss is considerable. There's a 38 billion hole or gap between where they are and where they need to be to balance the books. There's no easy way around that, or is there? How do you think he should approach that, bearing in mind that he's a former hedge fund manager, his wife had non-DOM status, which she has now changed, but she, he took a lot of public flack for that. She's the daughter of a very wealthy family. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but she had non-DOM status, which meant she didn't pay tax on money she was making outside of Britain, basically. So what does he have to do, in your view, economically, to bridge that gap? Well, one of the things that he did do was regularise her tax affairs. So um, we'd like to think, again, trying to be charitable on the day that's in it, yes. that he's regularised his wife's tax affairs, that he has given up his green card. So we hope that that is just all history now and that um, uh, that that can, for now at least, be parked and not used to attack him. Because more than anything, I think the British people are screaming out now for some quiet competence and for some truth-telling and for an end to the circus that is that has been Westminster politics. And I think the British people are in a mood for some truth-telling. And that will include saying things like, well, we have some very hard decisions to make on tax and spending. We can't run away from them because we know what happens if we run away from those decisions. The markets go nuts and punish us very, very badly. We can't risk that again. So we are going to have to put some taxes up and we are going to have to be very, very tight on spending. As I said, it's austerity mark too. And he, and I think that the mood will be, um, it'll be grudging. 
it will be uh, very unhappy, but people will be accepting of it because I think that we all know what the alternative is, which is much worse. Well, th- the, the, the question of people's willingness is really a question of are they willing, for example, to see the National Health Service in the state it's in now where you can't be guaranteed an ambulance. When the ambulance does come, if it goes to the hospital, you could be in line for two or three hours behind 20 other ambulances. People are leaving the health service every day, doctors, nurses and other staff. I mean, Britain is in a chronic situation. We're not great here ourselves at the moment in terms of our health service and indeed the housing crisis that we have. We're in severely, but we don't have the baggage and the sheer unpleasantness of the European Research Group or anything like them. Yeah, um, the, the, what you say is absolutely true. I, I know somebody personally, sadly, that is terminally ill and today waited eight hours for an ambulance. Yes. Uh, these things are real and they are impacting on people's lives. And it's another one of the Herculean tasks that faces Sunak is to try and do something about it. It's not going to be achieved quickly if it's going to be achieved at all. Um, but he has to find some more money for the NHS to, to sort this out. And that means higher taxes elsewhere and lower spending elsewhere. One of the many, many difficult decisions that he faces. Some people think that the task is too big, that the problems are so deep-seated yes. that he doesn't um, have the ability because of the political constraints that people like the ERG are putting on him, and he doesn't have the time. Because as you say, um, data released today, I suspect that Ed Conway was referring to this data, is strongly hinting that the British economy is now in recession. Um, confidence has been eviscerated by what has happened over the last few weeks. And confidence is a very important factor in economics. And when you overlay um, confidence disappearing from both consumer and business spending on top of the energy crisis, on top of the cost of living crisis, then you have a real problem for the economy. People just hunker down, stop spending. And that's the definition of a recession, when businesses and consumers stop spending. And that's going to be a real problem for him. There's nothing he can do about that, literally nothing. Yes. Because the traditional economic response to a recession is economic stimulus. He can't do that because the Bank of England is going the other way, which is raising interest rates. So it's going to be tightening rather than stimulating. And on the fiscal side, this is the Jeremy Hunt remit, um, he hasn't got any money to stimulate the economy with. So they are going to have to suck up this recession and just ride it through. He may not have the time. He may not have um, what, it, what, what it takes to be able to ride this out, come out to the other side and rebuild the, the Tories. It, they may well go into the next general election, which most people would guess is in two years' time, two and a bit years' time, um, either just in the middle of or just coming out of, of quite a nasty economic period. And there it, his, his tragedy, if you like, is that he has become prime minister at a time when the tools available to him to try and soften the blow, the economic blow of what is happening right now, are very limited to non-existent. Yes, and when it comes to these red wall seats that Boris Johnson was so successful in winning, they will more than likely particularly in in an austerity period, return to the Labour Party, the Tories are already an estimated 25-30% behind in the polls. It would take some very, very big mistakes by the Labour Party or scandals 
to save this Tory party, which makes one feel that the likes of Kemi Badnock, Swella Braverman, and some of these characters in the ERG, it will make them very nasty indeed, and looking to make enemies. This was something that Truss did from the day she began campaigning, making enemies, whether it's in Europe or wherever, Scotland. Everyone is an enemy, Ireland. And that's the way they try to deflect. And of course, there's always in the background as well, it almost seems crazy to to mention him, but Boris Johnson is there, liable to cause trouble as well. Well, he already has caused trouble, uh, as we know from his his, uh, dramatic return from the Dominican Republic. And there's no doubt in anybody's mind, not least mine, that he wishes to emulate his hero, Winston Churchill, who was turfed out of office in 1945 and then returned, I think it was six or seven years later. 51. Yes, six years later as yep. prime minister. And Johnson is, is there waiting to repeat that experience. He, he would love to be written up as the second Churchill with a second coming. He's had one go at it. And just because he's failed this time around doesn't mean that he's going to have another go next time around. And so that that's another area that Sunak is going to have to watch. His, As I say, his task is a Herculean one, and it may well be that the stables, he can't clear them, and that uh, the task facing him is would would, would take a superhuman uh, character to, to, to manage it well. And um, I think he's got two years of, of, of misery ahead of him, actually, with all of these tasks that he faces. There will be a bounce in the polls for him, because I do think people will, will be relieved that the circus for now is over. But as I say, the, the economic backdrop in which he's going to be operating gives him no room for manoeuvre whatsoever. So the decisions he's going to have to take are all going to be very, very tough ones. He's going to have to be a, a, an extraordinary communicator and um, t- tell the British people some very tough truths. And we're not used to that because, of course, what we've had is bluff, bluster, boosterism, and and the circus of the, of the really the six years since Brexit. And um, as I've said to you before, Eamon, nobody is going to be able to tackle the deep-seated problems of the British economy until they face up to the reality that that is the disaster that is Brexit. I'm not suggesting for a second that he's going to stand up and say that Brexit has been a disaster. Again, I say he watch what he does. But if he goes down the route that the other lot want him to go down, of picking these fights, of being nasty to Europe all the time, including Ireland, then we're just going to get more of the same. And he almost certainly would then wouldn't last two years, because if this factional infighting of the Tory party continues, it can only end up with, a, with an early general election, in my view. He's got to take advantage of what will be something of a honeymoon period. People will be wishing him well, because everybody now knows really does know. We know how bad the state of the country is. And it's in all of our interests, those of us, whether we're Labour, Lib Dem or Tory, we need this man to achieve some modicum of success. I mean, you'd you'd have to be a a, a deep cynic to um, wish this man um, failure um, on, you know, over over a very short time period. Indeed, and there's no benefit for Ireland in the British government failing. He's been urged, Chris, by some observers to appoint a government of, quote, all the talents. That in itself is a great notion. But when you look at the talent, like, say, Jacob Rees-Mogg, to take, what, six idiots, all 
boiled into one person. He doesn't have much talent, it seems to me. No, because they've been purged, and this mm. this is this is Johnson's legacy. Yes, but the the decent Tories, the capable Tories, uh, are all gone. Yeah, and that there are so few of them left. Jeremy Hunt would be one of them. Yes, um, he, he you know he, he he's not the perfect um, example of uh, you know his track record as health secretary um, left a lot to be desired. For instance, but you know he clearly is a decent human being. Um, a hard worker. Sunak himself has a reputation of being a pragmatist and of being a hard worker. His time as chancellor, he didn't take a holiday. Um, he was uh, he got on with the civil service, yes. his officials, which is something that a lot of these other crowds didn't do because they spend their time. You know, one of the many groups that they picked fights with was their own civil service. He didn't do that. Whether he's got a talent pool deep enough to go fishing, I, I've got my doubts. Let me throw a couple of names at you, Chris. Michael Gove and Sajid Javid, two heavyweight politicians, two effective politicians. And in Javid's case, in in my own view, brave as well, because when he was appointed Chancellor of the Exchequer and Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson tried to interfere in that department, he actually walked. He said, no, thank you. He left the job, and in fact, Rishi Sunak was the beneficiary of that decision. But the point is, he was a heavyweight, he had real ability, and he's still there. If he doesn't get a job, for example, and if he doesn't get a serious job, that would be a very bad sign. Yes, he's got to bring Gove back into the cabinet and give him a a, a big, big portfolio, probably make him deputy prime minister, give him... uh, the foreign office or the home office, um, something like that. He's got to bring Sajid Javid back in. The, his list of big beasts that are serious politicians who are capable of getting things done is a very yes. short one. Those are two that we could mention. Um, he's got to keep Ben Wallace at defence. Um, so, you know, the, the big offices of state could be filled by heavyweights. And he's got to make sure that people like Priti Patel um, and those of her ilk who are clearly incompetent, very ill-suited to day-to-day government, um, are kept well away from the, from the levers of power. Okay, a final question, Chris. Two questions, really. How optimistic are you as a Briton? And one sees all the time Vox Pops on television. They go out in the streets, they interview people. The mood in Britain now seems to be the morale of the people, the real and pressing difficulties facing people, poor people, working class people, and also people with running small businesses. It seems like a country that's on the brink of imploding completely because there are no answers to some of the big questions. Yeah, as I say, the task is huge and it may be beyond him. What I'd like to see him do, I'd like to see anybody do, if it was a Labour Prime Minister, it was Keir Starmer, I'd like to see them stand up and say, we have to face reality. We have to accept that Brexit has damaged the British economy and the British economy wasn't in great shape to start with. Brexit hasn't just done economic damage. It's divided us as a people. It's had massive political and social consequences. All of that must stop. The task of healing must start now. And these are the things that we're going to do to try and affect that healing. We're not going to rejoin the European Union, but we are going to take steps to uh, get closer to them. We are going to come together as a people to face these difficulties, and these difficulties of higher energy prices, 
of cost of living, higher unemployment as a result of the recession. It's all coming our way. We've managed to cap the energy price thing for you for the next six months. But after that, folks, um, mostly you're on your own because we don't have the money. That kind of truth telling is absolutely necessary if they're to stand any chance of coming out of the other, the other side of this in reasonable shape. If they don't do that, then I would be very, very pessimistic. And do you know what, Eamon, you asked me a direct question. And yeah. I will give you a direct answer. I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think you're going to see anybody making those kind of speeches, saying those kinds of very necessary things because they happen to be true. I, I think that that is beyond any current British politician, even Keir Starmer, because I, I think he's he's been a great disappointment on the European question. Um, so I, at the end of the day, think that he's going to get a honeymoon bounce in terms of popularity. Things will calm down. The circus atmosphere will abate, but all of the problems will still be there and they will be beyond him and indeed anybody else to fix in the very short time period that he has available to him. So I think it's going to stay very messy. And when it is messy like that, and you've got this crowd of people more willing to uh, put on the boxing gloves than sit yeah. around the table and talk their way through these issues, then I think the answer is I'm a pessimist, Damon. Okay, Chris Johns in London, we're very, very grateful to you. We're grateful to Chris always and to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.